Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our 2-0 win over Cagliari on Sunday. I know it's been a little while since that match, but it's been a busy week with our bonus pod and with these midweek fixtures. In part two, I'll review our fourth Primavera match of the season. And in part three, I'll quickly preview our midweek fixture in the Europa League against Spartak Moscow. So let's start with Napoli's win over Cagliari on Sunday. We won the match 2-0 on goals from Victor Osimhen and Lorenzo Insigne. This was a dominant performance from Napoli from start to finish. Cagliari had six total shot attempts. Three of them were blocked and two of them missed the target, so only one shot actually hit the target. With Cagliari creating so little in the attack, you have to assume that they were playing for a draw. Mind you, I'm sure they would have liked to have more of the ball, we just didn't let them. I think we took a very specific approach to this match, a very calculated approach, and in the end, it was much more of the same. Victor Osimhen on the score sheet, Fabian Ruiz and Frank Anguisa winning the midfield, Mario Rui continuing to hold his own at left back, a clean sheet for David Ospina, and a win for Luciano Spalletti. We even got a couple of players back from injury for this one. Both Dries Mertens and Diego Demme returned to the 23-man squad. Demme even made a brief appearance for the final few minutes of the match. We'll review all of that in this review and we'll revisit our three keys to the match. But first, let's get to the starting lineups. 
Walter Mazzari made a number of changes to the squad that he fielded against Empoli. He switched from a 4-4-2 to a 4-2-3-1 with Alessio Cranio in goal. Mazzari nearly made wholesale changes to his back four. The only defender that started against Empoli was Sebastian Valokiewicz, and he moved over from right back to center back. The other center back was Diego Godin. Martin Cáceres started at left back over Charlampos Likoyanis, who shifted up to play at left wing, and Gabriele Zappa filled in for Valokiewicz at right back. With the change in formation, Razvan Marin moved up to play as the number 10, and Kevin Struman started in the double pivot alongside Alessandro Deola. Like I said, Likoyanis played on the left wing, and Nahit Hernandez played in his usual spot on the right wing. And finally, Joao Pedro started at striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made only one change to the squad that he fielded against Sampdoria. The back four remained unchanged with Kaladu Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani at centre-back. I was a little bit surprised to see Rachmani start, but I'll come back to that in just a moment. Mario Rui started again at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started again at right-back. Fabian Ruiz and Frank Anguisa started in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing and Matteo Politano returned to the starting 11 to start over Chucky Lozano on the right wing. That was the one change. Finally, Piotr Zielinski started in the 10 behind Victor Osimhen. Okay, so before we get to our three keys to the match, I want to talk about the starting lineup for a little bit. In general, I was expecting to see a little bit more rotation from Spalletti, whether it was Malqui over Di Lorenzo or Unas for Insigne or perhaps even both. My logic was that between this game and the Spartak Moscow game, if we rotated two or three players each game, we'd maintain a core of seven or eight regular starters in each match, while also allowing players to rest. I suspect if this was later in the season, we would have seen something like that, but Spalletti started a very strong squad, and I think that is primarily because we're still very early in the season. We see this with new managers all the time at other clubs as well. Early in the season, they tend not to rotate as much because they want their key players to learn their system and to develop chemistry as quickly as possible. There's no way to replicate competitive football, so the best way to do that is to play these guys together as often as possible. Because the season is still young, fitness really isn't much of an issue. The one player I was surprised to see in the starting 11 was Amir Rahmani for a few reasons. First, he played three matches in eight days before this match, so this was his fourth match in 11 days. For me, that was reason enough to give him a rest, but like I said, it's early in the season and he's young, and he didn't play a whole lot last season either, so in all likelihood, fitness wasn't an issue for him. The second reason was that Manolas hadn't played since the Juve match. Now, you could say that Spalletti was punishing him for that error he made. If it was one or two games, I would agree with that, but three or four games means the manager prefers one player over the other. So as far as I can tell, Rachmani has now surpassed Manolas in the depth charts, now, Spalletti made a very interesting comment in his post-match conference. He said, Anyone who does not feel like a starter because he comes on after the match has started cannot be a starter even from the beginning because he has a personality that is focused on himself and cannot enter a team context. Now, we had a good dialogue about Manolas online and our friend Dom the Barber said he wonders if this comment was directed at Manolas and I think you could certainly make the case for it. If you look at our bench, there aren't too many players who would fit that description. Guys like Malqui, Elmas, Unas, Lozano or Politano, whichever doesn't start, they all relish their opportunities to play. The only other player I can think of that perhaps falls into this category is Andrea Petania, but when Petania wasn't sold in the summer, he told Radio Kiss Kiss that he'd rather be on a winning team and play his role than be the number one on a smaller club. 
Of course, he could have just been saying that after the fact, but that doesn't leave many other players that this comment could apply to. If Manolas is the guy that Spalletti was referring to, then it's really up to Spalletti to manage the situation. Otherwise, this can get ugly pretty quickly. It seems like Spalletti is doing well in that regard, though. Rafa Rispo from the Far From Vesuvius podcast and the rant pointed out that Manolas looked pretty happy messing around on the field at halftime, so Manolas doesn't appear to be disgruntled, at least not yet. Personally, I still think you need to play him because you want to ensure that Manolas stays in form as well in case he is called upon like in the Sampdoria match. That was the primary reason why I didn't think Rachmani should have played in this match. He left that Sampdoria match after taking a hard cross to the head and was taken out after experiencing what appeared to be, at least in my opinion, concussion-like symptoms. Now, I know they tested him and the test came back negative, but that game was only three games before this one, and if there was ever a game to rest a player for precautionary reasons, this was the one. Cagliari are not a good team, even an out-of-form Manolas could have held them off, they hardly touched the ball. The only other explanation I could give, which I tweeted about, is perhaps Manolas is on his way out in January. We know about the rumors right before the window closed that he wanted to return to Olympiacos. It's quite possible that deals were in place and they just ran out of time, so those plans may have been deferred until the winter. Now, the exact words I used were, I'm starting to think Manolas could be on his way out in January. I didn't mean for that to be a prediction. I'd say it was more of an inclination, but it did start a good dialogue on the subject. A handful of people rightfully pointed out that we have a lot of games to play so we can't afford to lose Manolas. I agree, we do have a lot of games to play and we definitely don't want Juan Jesus to be the next man up, but that simply is not how we do business. We would not sell Manolas without having already lined up a replacement. I didn't say it explicitly, but my assumption is definitely that we would sign another player at the same time that we would sell Manolas. Anyhow, I think I've spent way too much time on this subject, so let's quickly revisit our three keys to the match. My first key to the match was that we needed to press high. I think we did this quite well, especially in the first half. We regularly won the ball back in Caliadi's half of the field. We didn't need to press as much in the second half because we had the two-goal lead and we still had most of the ball, so we were quite content to pass the ball around and kill off the clock. Victor Osimhen was doing a lot of the pressing on his own and he was very effective at it. There was one play in the second half where he pressed Cranio, who passed to Godin. Osimhen chased him down. Godin passed the ball back to Cranio. Osimhen pressed him and Cranio ended up booting the ball long and straight back to our defenders. So in effect, Osimhen won possession just with his single man press. That's just one example of how he contributes in different ways, even when he's not scoring. As it turns out, he did score in this one. It was probably one of the easier goals Osman has scored in his career, but he made an incisive run and he still had some work to do on the finish. Credit to Angisa and Zielinski for their efforts on the goal as well. Angisa showed great vision with that ball over the top to Zielinski, who made the run in the channel. Angisa just continues to put in one solid performance after another. And then Zielinski did really well, first of all, to stay onside second to track the ball down, and then he immediately knew where to play the pass. Osimhen now has six goals in his last four matches in all competitions. He was easily the man of the match for me. His effort to win the penalty kick was probably even more impressive than his goal. Even at 35, Diego Godin is one of the best center backs in the league, and Victor absolutely destroyed him on this play to win the penalty kick. The only negative for Osimhen was that he picked up a yellow card for simulation. 
I thought the yellow was a little bit harsh, never mind the 2,000 euro fine that came along with it. Yes, he went to ground too easily, but the defender did have an arm on him. I'm not saying it was a foul or a penalty, but we see this all the time where a player goes to ground too easily hoping to win a penalty, and usually the ref just tells them to get back up. My second key to the match was that we needed to stop Nahita Nandez because that was a tough matchup for Mario Rui. Mario Rui achieved this one all on his own. I suggested in my preview that Koulibaly, Anguissa, and Insignia would need to help out, but it turns out Mario Rui did not need the help. Now, Cagliari created very little in the attack, so that certainly helped, but when they did get forward, Rui stood his ground. There was a 2 or 3 minute spell late in the first half where Cagliari played two crosses to the back post, first Liko Yanis and then Caceres, and Mario Rui dealt with both of them very well. On the first, he headed the ball out of the area, and on the second, he calmly chested it down to Ospina. Our friend Dom from Napoli Talk did a great job addressing this on the last couple episodes of his show, which you can find on YouTube. Just search Napoli Talk. Really, Dom was addressing the criticisms of Giovanni Di Lorenzo for losing his men at the back post in the Euros against Leicester City and then last season against Genoa. And what Dom explained is that when the opponent is crossing the ball into the area, ideally you want the fullback to play close to the center back. And that's because the center back has to make a couple of decisions. Does he play in front of the striker or behind him? Does he go front post or back post? And it's not that difficult for the striker to make a move to create that half step of space that he needs. With the fullback supporting, he can cover the areas that the center back doesn't. So if Koulibaly goes front post, Mario Rui goes back post. Then when the cross is played in, the fullback generally has enough time to retreat to the back post if that's where the cross is played as we saw on these two occasions. The times where the fullback is beaten at the back post is when the ball is whipped in with pace, but that's also very difficult to finish. It just so happens that in those examples with Di Lorenzo, the opponent managed to hit the target, but more often than not, they won't. So great stuff from Dom there. If you don't already subscribe to his YouTube channel, I highly recommend it. Again, it's called Napoli Talk. Our final key to the match was that we had to limit Caliadi's chances because with players like Joao Pedro and even Kita Balde, they are capable of taking their chances. It goes without saying that we achieved this one. I mentioned the shots. We limited Caliadi to only one shot on target. We dominated the ball. According to the official match report, we had 63% ball possession, but other sites had it higher. But regardless, Caliadi were never really a threat. This is about as easy of a clean sheet that David Ospina is going to get. We now have four clean sheets through our first six matches. And in each of those matches, we only conceded one goal. Before I wrap up this review, I want to quickly talk about Spalletti. He continues to get the best out of our players, and I think most of us agree that, in theory, we should only get better. Obviously, injuries are a bit of a wild card. Hopefully, we can stay healthy through the upcoming international break. But there were a couple of things I saw in this match that, again, highlight Spalletti's quality and experience. First, it was clear to me that we were not playing at 100%, but I don't think that was a bad thing. In fact, I think that might have been intentional. We were playing against a weak opponent who we knew were going to sit back even after we scored, and we're short on players in the midfield, so I really felt like this was a way to conserve energy, knowing that we have a midweek fixture in the Europa League ahead of a tough match at the weekend against Fiorentina. Our friend Gaetano Solazzo summed it up perfectly. He said, we dominated Cagliari playing in second or third gear. Now, Spalletti did say after the match that while we did a good job of picking the right opportunities to attack, he does want to see the players be more aggressive, but then he also said maybe he's nitpicking a little bit. I mentioned the press a moment ago. 
I thought it was interesting that at times we also dropped a little bit deeper and what that does is it invites the opponent to take that space and push forward, play a little bit higher up the pitch and when they do that, Osamen now has more space to play in when we win the ball back. Finally, we talked previously about playing the immediate outlet pass to Osamen and we saw more of that in this match as well. That will do for this match review. In part 2, we'll review our latest Primavera match. Next, let's review our Primavera match on Monday against Pescara. Pescara came into this match bottom of the table with only one point through three matches. Three other teams were on one point as well, but Pescara had the worst goal differential after losing their opening match of the season 6-0 to Genoa. They followed that match up with a 0-0 draw against Empoli and a 4-3 loss to Torino. Both of those teams have started the season well, so Pescara's record perhaps was not an indication of their quality. We came into this match in 6th place with 2 wins and a loss in our first 3 matches. It's been an up and down season for us. We started with a solid win over Bologna, then suffered our own 6-0 loss to Sampdoria. And our third match was a 2-1 win over Juventus after Ambrosino scored a very late winner. Both teams played midweek in the Coppa Italia and both teams won their matches. Pescara beat Spezia 3-2 and we beat Benevento 2-0. Antonio Pesce and Giovanni Mercurio scored in that one. That was Mercurio's first goal since joining Napoli. Frustalupi was missing a couple of players for this match. Unfortunately, Antonio Vergara will be out for about three weeks with a micro-fracture in his hip. And midfielder Aziz Toure was not available as well. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Pescara lined up in a 4-3-3 with Igor Lucatelli in goal. Papesacco and Carlo Palmentieri started at center back. Francesco Colazzilli started at left back and Gianluca Longobardi started at right back. Dino Mehic started as the regista in behind Amir Mehic and Armand Kuki in the midfield. Marco Delemonache started on the left wing. Tomas Patanes started on the right wing. And Vladislav Blanuta played at striker. 
For Napoli, Nicolo Frustalupi made three changes to the squad that he fielded against Juventus. It seems the 3-4-2-1 will be the preferred formation this season with Huberi Dasiak in goal. Frustalupi didn't make any changes to his back three of Davide Costanzo, Benedetto Barba, and Daniel Hisai. Alessandro Spavone and Coli Sacco started again in the center of the midfield, but Frustalupi changed both of the outside midfielders. Alessandro Zanoli returned from the senior team to start on the left side of the midfield. I imagine the decision was made to send Zanoli down so that he could continue to play. Also with Dries Mertens and Diego Demet back in the senior squad, there isn't much room for Zanoli there. That's something I'm really excited about. I was really impressed with Zanoli in preseason, but judging by the start of the season, it didn't appear like he was going to get a whole lot of playing time. With the Primavera, he should be a regular starter, so this is a good way to see what he's capable of. On the right side of the midfield, Musa Mane started over Domenico Di Donna. The third change was to start Pasquale Maranzino over the injured Vergara as one of the two trequartisti. Giuseppe D'Agostino played as the other trequartista, and Giuseppe Ambrosino started as the lone striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. And this match couldn't have started any better for us. We opened the scoring only three minutes in. Sacco won the ball around midfield and played it out wide to Zanoli. Zanoli dribbled past Mehic before scoring the ball to Sacco at the top of the box. He stretched his long legs to receive the pass and then quickly played it to Maranzino to his right. Maranzino cut into his left and fired past Lucatelli at the near post. Unfortunately, that was the high point for us in this match. Pescara came right back and equalized only two minutes later. This goal was definitely avoidable. Hisai intercepted a low cross inside our own six-yard box. He had plenty of time to boot it out to safety, but instead, he stood on the ball for too long and was closed down by Kuki. The ball ricocheted to Mehic at the edge of the six-yard box, and he rolled his shot past Idasiak to make the score 1-1. Then in the 31st minute, Spavone fouled Patanet on the right wing. Pescara ran a great set piece here. They set up as you would expect on a free kick from that distance with most men in the area waiting for the cross and one player in the midfield to retrieve the clearance. But Della Monaca played the ball short to Kuki who was that player in the midfield and he curled a perfect first time shot from about 25 yards out into the top corner of the goal. I don't know if Idasiak didn't see the ball until it was too late or perhaps he didn't read the curl on the ball because he was well positioned to make the save but he didn't make much of an attempt to stop it. Pescara nearly added a third in the 36th minute on a free kick taken from a similar area as on the goal. This time De La Monica played the cross into the area. Dino Mehic won the header around the penalty spot but Idasiak did really well to push the ball over the bar. Pescara continued to ride the momentum and created another really good chance only two minutes later. Palmenteri won the ball in the midfield and played Blanuta through, but Idasiak was quick off his line and made the stop. Blanuta would get his goal in stoppage time, though. De La Monica was involved in this goal as well. He made a lovely move on Mane on the left wing to create space for the cross. His ball into the area was excellent, but Costanzo was playing too far off Blanuta. Even if he was tight on the striker, Costanzo would have been in tough because Blanuta is very tall. He had the ball into the bottom corner to make the score 3-1 just before the end of the first half. The second half was somewhat less eventful, but for the most part it was Pescara who continued to create the chances. In the 54th minute, Mehic played a long ball to Patane who did really well to control the pass and dribble past Mane. He got a decent shot on target, but again Idasek was well positioned to make the save. Less than 5 minutes later, Pescara came close again from another free kick, except this one was from the opposite side of the field. Once again, De La Monica crossed the ball into the area, and this time Dino Mehic won the header. 
but it just missed the bottom corner. Things went from bad to worse for Napoli in the 60th minute Ambrosino went down with what appeared to be a cramp so he had to be taken out. On the bright side Antonio Trophy came off the bench to replace him but he's still getting back to match fitness and didn't make much of an impact. Other than a very late chance for Colisaco, we simply did not create enough in this match and Pescara were the deserved winners with a final score of 3-1. This was a match where we just made too many mistakes so I think Frustalupi will want to address that. For me our best player was Colisaco, I just mentioned that chance he had late in the match. He also made a great play on the defensive end using his long strides to get back on a 2v1 and break up the attack. With the loss, we dropped to 9th in the table, tied with Juventus and Torino on 6 points. The Azzurini are off for the international break and will be back in action on October 15th to play against Milan. That will be Colisacco's first match against his former club. That will do for Part 2. In Part 3, we'll preview our Europa League match against Spartak Moscow. Close the pod with a quick preview of our match on Thursday against Spartak Moscow. I am definitely no expert on Russian football, but hopefully I can still help set the stage. Spartak finished second in the Russian Premier League last season, which got them into the Champions League qualifying round. Unfortunately, they drew Benfica for their qualifier, which they lost 4-0 on aggregate. Benfica won both legs 2-0. Because they lost that tie, they were placed in the Europa League group stage. It's been a rough start to the season for Spartak both in Russia and in the Europa League. They currently sit 8th out of 16 teams in the Russian Premier League with a record of 4 wins, 1 draw and 4 losses. The story of their season so far is that they're beating the teams they're supposed to beat like KS Samara, Ural, Kimki and Ufa, but they're not beating their direct competitors. Siska, Moscow, Ruben Kazan and Sochi have all beaten Spartak and consequently they're all above Spartak in the table. Spartak also lost their opening match of the group stage to Vizla Krakow. In their defense though, they played really well in that match. They created chance after chance, but they just could not finish. Samuel Guizhou hit the bar with a header in the second half as well. Spartak had 23 shot attempts, 8 of which were blocked, and of the remaining 15, only 3 of them hit the target. Legia Warsaw, on the other hand, only had 7 shot attempts and only 2 of them hit the target. Unfortunately for Spartak, one of those two shots found the back of the goal. If you haven't seen that goal, I suggest you check it out. Ernst Musi made an unbelievable run on the left wing. He pushed the ball past Nikolai Raskazov and then turned on the afterburners, but he pushed the ball so far that it was more like he passed it to himself, and then the ball rolled along the line and somehow stayed in play until Musi caught up to it. 
So with that loss, this becomes a really important game for Spartak. It's not mathematically a must win, but if they lose, they'll be in a very difficult position. Most likely, Leicester will beat Vizla Krakow, so Leicester and Napoli would be tied for top of the table on 4 points, Vizla Krakow would be in 3rd on 3 points, and Spartak would be at the bottom of the table with no points. For the same reason though, this match is important for Napoli. If we win this one and beat Vizla Krakow, which again is a result you would expect, we'd put ourselves in a very good position to advance out of the group, and then the question is, who wins the group? So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Spartak will likely line up in a 3-4-3 with Alexander Maximenko in goal. With Nikolai Raskazov likely ruled out, I think we'll see the same back three that started against Ufa at the weekend, that's Samuel Guizhou, Georgi Zikia, and Maximiliano Kafriz. With Roman Zobnin likely out as well, Ruslan Litvinov and Neil Umyarov should start in the center of the midfield. Ayrton Lucas will start on the left side of the midfield, and ex-Chelsea player Victor Moses will start on the right side of the midfield. Quincy Promis should start on the left wing, and with Jordan Larson ruled out, we should see Selimikan Bakayev on the right wing. Finally, Ezekiel Ponce should start up top. Now, it is possible that Spartak go with a 3-4-1-2 instead of a 3-4-3. In that case, Alexander Sobolev would likely start up top alongside Ponce. For Napoli, I think Luciano Spalletti will line up in the 4-2-3-1 once again. Spalletti has given us some hints about who he will play in this match. In his post-match conference after the Cagliari game, he said that Zielinski needs to get minutes to return to form. And in his pre-match conference for this game, he said he might make three or four changes to the squad, but we cannot live without Koulibaly or Insigne. I think one of those changes will be to start Alex Medet in goal. Medet has now recovered from the back injury he suffered against Genoa. I think another change will be to start Kostas Manolas over Amir Rachmani to play alongside Koulibaly at centre-back. Like in the first game of the group stage, I think Kevin Malqui will start at right-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will move over to the left, relegating Mario Rui to the bench. I think one of Fabian Ruiz and Zambo Anguisa will rest in this match. I have Elif Elmas starting over Fabian. I've seen some people say that Diego Demick could start in this match, which is possible, but given how long he's been off, I'd like to see him get more minutes off the bench first. Up top, I think we'll see Lorenzo Insigne play on the left wing. I initially had Adam Una starting there, but after Spalletti's comments, I have to go with Insigne here. Since Politano started at the weekend, I'm giving Chucky Lozano the start on the right wing. I mentioned Zielinski needing minutes, so I have him playing in the 10. And finally, I have Victor Osman starting up top. Even though this is a great opportunity to rest Osman and give Andrea Petania some minutes, Osman is in form, and I think Spalletti will want to keep it up. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to take this match as seriously as any other one. Judging by Spalletti's comments on Wednesday, I don't think this will be an issue. When he was asked about this, he said the football gods punish those who take the pitch with presumption. He also said that in Russia, they care a lot and having an Italian team in front of them will only stimulate them more. Of course, Spalletti coached in Russia, so he's very familiar with how Russian players and teams approach these matches. We all remember what happened in the group stage of last season's Europa League. We opened the group stage with a 1-0 loss to an Azad Alkmaar team that was missing half of their players due to COVID. This is a somewhat similar situation in that Spartak could be without 5 or 6 players including Ilya Kutapov, Pavel Maslov, Roman Zobnin, Jorat Hendricks, Georgi Melkads, and most importantly Jordan Larson. So we have to treat them with respect. 
My second and third keys to the match are based on Spartak's performance against Ufa at the weekend, which I watched in preparation for this preview. Now, obviously, you can only deduce so much about a team from watching just one match, but as I said, given all the absentees, I think the starting 11 against Napoli will be very similar to the starting 11 against Ufa, so I think the match against Ufa is the best indication we have. Spartak won the match 2-0 on goals from Ezekiel Pons and Quincy Promis. It was a fairly dominant performance against a lower table team, but for the opening couple of minutes, Ufa actually had Spartak pinned in their own end. They pressed high and Spartak just could not keep hold of the ball. So that is my second key to the match. Press high and force Spartak to concede possession in their own half, much like we did to Cagliari at the weekend. Now, if we do that, we do have to be wary of the counterattack because as Ufa learned, Spartak can be devastating on the break. Ufa had about two minutes of strong play to open the match and then Spartak hit them on the break in the third minute. They opened the scoring with a move that saw them progress the ball from their own half to the back of the goal with only four passes. They passed the ball crisply and accurately and the play concluded with Bakayev threading the needle with the through ball to Ponce into a very narrow space. That means our holding midfielders will have to be on their toes, which is why I picked Anguisa to start with Elmas rather than Fabian. That goal came directly through the center of the pitch, so my third key to the match is to push Spartak out wide. They definitely like to attack down the middle of the pitch, not just on the goal, almost every chance they created came through the middle of the field. Spartak had six shots on target in the match, and every one of them was from the top of the box. They loved to shoot from there. Even when they had the ball on the wings, they tended to cut into the middle of the field. This attack is all about those two central midfielders in the four-man midfield. Lipmanov and Umirov both had excellent matches. I mentioned the similarities between this match and the Azed Alkmaar match last season. I think just like Toon Miners was a standout player for Alkmaar last season, Ruslan Litvinov might be the standout player this season. I'm not saying they play the same way, but they are both a presence in the midfield. So again, the holding midfielders will play a very important role in this match. I think the center backs will play an important role as well. If Manolas starts, this may not be the easy fixture that we are all expecting it to be. That front three of Promis, Pons, and Bakayev could be a handful. That said, for my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 win for Napoli. I'll give the Napoli goals to Viktor Osman, Chuki Lozano, and Piotr Zielinski, and I'll give the Spartak goal to Quincy Promes. While we have a history of taking matches like this for granted, I think we've already seen a change in that regard since Spalletti took over as manager. The club has made it quite clear that we are going to take this tournament seriously, so I fully expect us to play for a win here. Spalletti is familiar with the Russian game, so you can be sure he studied Spartak closely and identified their weaknesses, which he will look to exploit. It's hard to judge by that Ufa match, but Spartak do not appear to be a team that sits back. They play a positive brand of football, which means they'll create their chances, but it also means there will be space on the pitch for Victor Osman to exploit. I think the team will also be motivated by the fact that we have yet to lose a match. The last time these two teams played each other was in the 1990 European Cup, where Spartak pulled off a massive upset of Diego Maradona's Napoli. Both legs finished in a scoreless draw and Spartak won on penalty kicks. So maybe this will be an opportunity for Napoli to finally avenge the loss suffered by Maradona on the European stage. That's a nice thought, but if I'm being honest, I don't think either team is really thinking about that previous meeting. But when you add that this match will be played in Napoli, I simply cannot see us dropping points here. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. 
That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back soon to review this match and to preview our next one, which is a big one against Fiorentina. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market